podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. In today's episode of the Canon Podcast, join us as we break down how Mikel Arteta has transformed Arsenal's defence, get a lowdown on the three-horse title race, discuss the potential signing of Douglas Luiz, and find out who Arsenal could be selling for massive money. Yes, guys, welcome back to the Canon Podcast. And after a fantastic victory against Burnley, we are here to break it down with Alex and George, as always. So let's start off with the performance at the Emirates Stadium. 3-1 to the Arsenal. George, talk to me about the Arsenal defence. Now, we conceded a goal in this game, but in the past few games of the Emirates, Arsenal's defence has been imperious. Actually, conceded numbers are all in our favour. I want to ask you a question of, what is the thing that Mikel Arteta has done to transform our defensive season, to take it to a new level this season? Um, I think that he's looked at kind of our build-up structure and I think naturally by uh, how we build attacks, we're going a lot wider this season. We've kind of critiqued this in terms of an attacking fluidity sense, but to kind of put your other defensive hat on, it's actually brilliant from a defensive perspective because say you were to have a turnover and from a defensive perspective, turnovers are what cost you transitions. So if you had one in the middle of the pitch, that's actually far closer to goal and it actually opens up a lot more angles for the opposition to attack. Now, if you had a, a turnover kind of out wide, then that kind of results in A, the distances being a lot longer to goal, but then B, it's a lot easier to defend with the byline so near and so your angles become a lot smaller. So from a defensive perspective, by attacking through more wide areas generally, we kind of leave ourselves less vulnerable defensively. Uh, the only issue is, of course, from an attacking sense, that doesn't give you the same fluidity as we found last year. So that's one thing. And then the second thing is Nicholas Yover needs to get some serious praise, not just in an attacking sense, but from a defensive side of the, uh, of the coin. We don't concede corners. And I think that's been a very deliberate aspect to um, Arsenal's defensive record because um, it's not just conceding set pieces or dead ball situations, but it more so has the issue when... Um, when you're making sure not to give the opposition a chance to attack in your final third, that's part of the equation. And I think our general overall control and our high line is not something that we've maybe changed from last year. The only difference is our press. And I think that our press isn't as 1v1 or aggressive and intense as it was last year. And we're adopting more of a zonal approach. We still go man-to-man in certain sequences, but we definitely don't press with the same vigor, and we don't have our midfield press up as high anymore. So we defend much more in a mid-block, and the team kind of defends more zonally than it did last year. And so all of those three changes, I would say, in general, kind of make us a lot more sturdy defensively. They don't allow for as many transition moments for the team. Um, Some of that kind of has an impact on your attacking ability, but generally speaking, we are an elite team defensively. And like I've said in previous pods, I think we're the best out-of-possession team in the world, certainly the most flexible. Um, And I think that's probably where I'll end. We are very flexible in the way that we would like to defend, whether or not that be a 4-4-2 mid-block, whether that kind of be um, the way that we would prefer to build up. We are very um, able to switch our defensive principles and maintain the same consistency. So I'm looking at Man United, for example, and comparing that to other games this season. That was certainly a very different approach in terms of defending, allowing the keeper to have possession of the ball, allowing Man United to have possession in their final or in their first third, because they knew that, you know, rather Mikel knew that they can't build up effectively. And so that kind of approach is not something that we've seen from Arsenal quite a bit. We're very much a high-pressing team if we were to compare last season. And so that stark change in approach and still maintaining the consistency is incredible. And, you know, you have to point to the players as well. They've been brilliant. When you look at things like Tom Yasser and Zinchenko coming in 
immediately in this most recent game against Burnley, who, by the way, are a team that like the ball, despite them being, you know, kind of relegation fodder, quote, end quote, they are a team that like to dominate the ball. And so they were always going to have possession. I just thought it was brilliant, the fact that we limited them to such low chances. And we've been doing it consistently, not just with Burnley, but with Sevilla, with Newcastle. The last three or four games, we've had roughly 0.02 XG conceded on as maybe the most um, in, in most of these matches. And I think it's incredible when you start to see the amount of people that have come into the defense. Because last year, could we say that changing personnel meant that our defensive principles were maintained? I don't think we could. So all those things make us a much more uh, stronger unit defensively, and credit goes to Mikel and the coaching staff for that. Most clean sheets, least goals conceded, least XG conceded. Arsenal's defence is very good. You compare it to Man City, Alex, then. You know, the defence they have of Gavardio, Stones, Diaz, etc. With the likes of Saliba and Gabriel, especially William Saliba now, after that goal against Burnley and all the praise, do you think now that we actually have the best defence in the league over Man City, you know, with all the stats in our favour? Uh, I, I, I would agree with George's point that we're, I think we're the most flexible defense, a hundred percent. I think it's hard to say what is the best defense in the league or in the world or whatever. It's, it's really, I think it's nice. It's a nice thing to feel that we are like the best defense in the world. Um, and it feels like that, but I think it's, it's harder to quantify than maybe flexible because I do look at the way we, we adapt how we, as George was alluding to, the way we adapt how we how we press, uh, how we how we deal with certain situations. I kind of want to focus in more on the individuals though, because I don't I don't think it's you can you can look at a team and say well they got fantastic you know defense. Ultimately, that is made up of individuals, and yes, of course, the coaching stuff, as George has, has talked about, is is there. But when we look at the performances so far this season of the likes of Ben White, of Gabriel, of Tomiyasu, of William Saliba. And also, you know, we're not talking about him as much anymore. David Raya, you know, he's added a certain amount to to this defense, which is which I think it has taken us to another level. It's a small increment, as we've spoken about before, but it, but the, these are little things. And I do want to come to William Saliba because the levels we're witnessing from this guy are the same. I, I don't want to. The problem is, is if you start making these comparisons, people say, "Oh, you think the same player?" I'm saying when when Virgil Van Dijk came in for Liverpool. And the level that their defence went up to in 2018, I'm not saying he's at that level yet because he needs to show that consistency, but the step up in terms of the defensive solidity when Virgil van Dijk came into the back of that Liverpool uh, defence, probably in the back, what was it, January 2018. That's what we've seen since. Uh, and we're seeing that level of, of growth in terms of our defence. He is absolutely imperious. His 1v1 capacity is unbelievable. I think someone asked the other day on... Uh, I think someone asked on X something like, oh, what is William Saliba's like, floor? And people had, you know, and you know, people love a complaint. Mm. There was like two or three things. It was like, maybe it's like reading the flight of the ball from the half space, like really specific, like, you know, very, very specific things. We have a generational center back. It, like, and I, because we didn't sign him, you know, and we had that whole build up with him. I don't think it's quite appreciated. I think he's maybe the most important player on our team. I, and I will say that, you know, you can argue, make an argument for Declan Rice, you can make an argument for Bukayo Saka, but I think for the foundations and the way that Mikel wants us to play, 
William Saliba, we're not we're not witnessing a pretty good centre back who's having a good season. We're witnessing a generational centre back who has had a transformative effect on a team that should be put in the same category as Ruben Diaz and Virgil Van Dijk. Yeah, we are very good defensively, and I think you're right. The partnership is fantastic, Gabriel and Saliba. I'd say the best league, you know, because you know, as an Arsenal fan, you've got to be shameless and put them in there. And I don't think it's shameless anymore. I think we can have that conversation, and mm-hmm. you know, you look at the power and strength we have. Tommy Asu as well at the back. We got Ben White who was unavailable for this game, but that's height, that's power, and it's. It's a good evolution from the years of Koscielny and Mertesacker, who were very good centre-backs, but, you know, at times, I think, was it Diego Costa who bullied Koscielny one time, which was, like, was a bit annoying. You know, yeah. those days are gone. Now it's Saliba. But not Sir Robert Aldini. Now it's Saliba bullying the likes of Haaland. It's good to see that how <laughs> Arsenal are, are taking their game to a new level. Let's talk about now how we can take our game forwards to a new level as well. There was a question that we've heard, and that is... Um, why is Arsenal's attack predictable? Now, being at the Emirates Stadium, you know, watching the game there, I thought it was a fine performance, but I had a lot of fans that were complaining about the sluggish passing that we were playing and the, the pace of our, our game. I thought it was controlled. I thought it was what I expected against Burnley, who I don't think play a deep block, but they were playing a deep block. And, you know, we had to break it down. What do you make in terms of George of how could Arsenal's attack become less predictable? Um, I, I think that a lot of it has to do with going through the middle of the pitch um, and finding ways that we can do that more effectively. I think that's really where it comes down to. Because look, the one thing that I don't want to do is ignore actually the fluidity and attack. Because if you look at our statistical numbers and you look at the effectiveness to which Arsenal enter the box, they are second in the league. City are first, of course. And, and the main difference between the two teams is that, of course, Arsenal have a lot more wider box entries and City have more narrow or uh, more final third um, entries. And, and the reason for them having a more final third entries, but also more entries through uh, kind of the center of the pitch, I think a large portion of that has to do um, with which areas of the pitch they prefer to uh, hurt the opponent. And I just think that fundamentally Arsenal need to work at getting better at striking that balance. And we've talked a little bit about it on the pod really quickly. I'll I'll just hit the three major points that I think from a coaching perspective we need. We need to maintain this quick buildup state. I still felt versus Burnley, we were lulled into a sense of having a little bit more slower buildup tempo. I think it wasn't as bad as it has been in recent weeks, but still the difference between Sevilla and the Premier League, a lot of people are telling me it has to do with the intensity of the press and the intensity of the Premier League. Burnley did not press us intensely. This isn't a opposition forcing us to build slow kind of mentality. It is more so the fact that we get lulled into doing so, I think, by facing teams that are so negative. And depending on what spaces we get afforded, the team kind of assumes that we will gain this territorial control. And we almost see the, the opponents submit to going into this low block. Now, this is a mental issue, in my opinion. We've got to increase the build-up tempo. We've also got to increase the staggering of our pivot to be a little bit more vertical. Talked about this before. We saw it a lot more versus Sevilla. And then again, I felt like with Zinchenko and Jorginho, we were a little flat in the way that we built up. It was much more E3-2, which has worked in stages. But when you do struggle to go through the middle, I think that there's this beautiful thing that Declan Rice does where people don't notice it, but he opens his body up to kind of draw the marker and force the opposition striker or second striker to block his passing lane. And by opening his body and maintaining himself on the half turn, he basically opens uh, the signal for that opposite wide center back 
which could be the right side or Tomiyasu to slant and cheat a little bit more to the right. And so what this does is it forces an angle for um, A, the space for Trossard or Jesus or whoever the false nine is to drop into the left-hand side. It manufactures space centrally, but also it leaves kind of that second eight, which is Jorginho, out of the space of the passing lane. And it opens up sides and it opens up areas for us to pass into. We see this in different principles and a little bit higher up the pitch when we look at the difference between maybe a Martin Odegaard, um, a Fabio Vieira, a high-touch player, and a Kai Havertz, for example. And looking at, again, those winger compliments, which is a beautiful transition to it. When you find this, we need to manufacture space in the middle of the park. That, I think, is something very easy that a lot of people can relate to because I think one thing that's happening right now is fans are seeing how many people are in the center of the pitch in terms of the opposition. And I think there's only a couple ways that you as a coach can tell your team to move them. Either you physically move them, you move them through passing, or you move them through space. Those are, those are really the only things that you can do on a football pitch to really move teams. And physically, very difficult to move people, um, especially if you're in a mid-block. Um, so it really comes down to passing, which can be an, an issue if you've got so many people and you've got less of your own team in that those areas. So you've got, we talk about qualitative and quantitative superiority. Those terms just mean quantitative could be the number of people there. And then qualitative is how good are you in those 1v1s. Bakayo Saka is a very good 1v1 player. He, um, you know, isn't the same as maybe having, I don't know, um, pick one of your weaker wingers in the league. You know, you, you don't, it's not like having Lucas Digne versus, you know, Martinelli on the same side. These are, these are, quality differences and that's what we mean with qualitative superiority so there there are things that we can do in summary i think we can be a little bit more quicker in the back in terms of building up the tempo i think our pivot can be a little bit more adventurous in terms of making sure it's staggered vertically as opposed to being a flat pivot i think that when we look higher up the pitch our eights and by having those winger complements we can manufacture space a lot better in the final third you combine these things and lastly with just a more efficient final action and you're going to get more central access you're going to get more times that we can access that center of the pitch and you're going to get more fluidity so i think those are the big things that if i was a, a coach to keep hammering home as as principles and i don't think they matter on the formation i've had this debate quite a bit on you know x these are things that we should be doing no matter the opposition it doesn't matter what formation you're playing whether you're playing a box a rhombus insert your favorite shape here these are principles of, of kind of intent that you should be doing it. And, you know, this is what we mean when a coach says, you know, play to win, pass with intent. These are things that we can do in terms of move with intent. You don't just pass with intent, you move with intent as well. Whenever you make a run, you're sending a message, A, to your passer, but you're also sending a message to your opposition. So um, make sure that that stuff is, is coordinated well. And, you know, you're, you're not falling into a sense of security and recycle. Mm. Alex, Bukayo Saka, 24 teams he's faced in Premier League. He's now scored assists against all 24 of those. The second English player to ever do so behind Harry Kane. This guy's bounced back after all, you know, the haters have come out loud. They were talking about, you know, Saka's out of form. A fantastic performance against Sevilla. I think a goal and an assist. And then an assist against Burnley again. This guy's just so good, isn't he? He's pretty good. Um, I, I think that stat is only... It's only Burnley he hasn't scored against. Ooh. So I think that's the reason why it's goals. not just it's goals. goals. I'm pretty Ooh. sure. 
Um, I, I could be wrong on that, but my, my friend told me that. Um, so blame him. Yeah, I mean, he's he's he is amazing. I, I mean, like we we've kind of spoken about it a little bit before. Um, I still think there's some shackles on Saka uh, in terms of his responsibility, in terms of what he's being asked to do. Um, and I would love to see a little bit. I th- look, it's it's all tied, isn't it? We can't you can't divorce the central access issue from the attack not clicking issue, from the Saka issue, from the Martinelli issue. Everything is linked, right? And I think last season we maybe saw Saka. Uh, I think maybe the, the word is or the phrase is enjoying his football a bit more in terms of that creative license and freedom to to come inside. And we have we have seen him, you know, in certain positions, but. There was a period, I can't remember what game one of you will be able to remind me, where he came over to the left-hand side and he was just absolutely cooking for like 15 minutes. Just absolutely, just literally... With a meal. Into sort of, with a meal, that was it. Uh, and he was making a meal. Um, but the, yeah, like the, he was, he was absolutely cooking for like sort of 10, 15 minutes and then he went back over to the right-hand side. And I'd love to see Saka given that kind of, I think we spoke about this before, right? Like that superstar treatment. But what does that actually mean? It's not only taking back his his uh, defensive responsibilities and, and freeing him up. It also means giving him that license and saying, look, when Bakayo comes inside, you move. <laughs> like he he is the guy who's going to win this game for us. So if you're Trossard, if you're Havertz, if you're Smith-Rowe, if you're Erdogan, go outside. Like you, you, you need to let this guy come. If he's feeling the game, this is this is something that I think is is massively changed for me this season. I think Arteta, in many ways, has been sort of has had the the stabilizers on a little bit, and I think he's now beginning to take them off. But the players don't quite know how to express themselves, and I think there's a that sort of risk reward balance isn't quite there. And I think part of the way, which is another part of the the kind of attack clicking conundrum and i think part of that is players like saka having i'm him games having games where actually do you know what i don't need to worry about my left back uh, the left back on the on on, on my side i don't need to worry about my defensive responsibilities and i don't need to worry that i'm going to get in at half time and everyone's going to say why are you shooting why are you shooting because this is a guy who is at 22 years of age probably england's second or maybe third best player we have to sort of let those shackles off and let him breathe a little bit. And practically, I think that is allowing him to come inside and allowing him to be a bit more expressive and expansive and take shots and try things and get things wrong and not jumping on his back because he's been this sort of perfect prefect almost for us so far. I think I almost want, I, I want like a Saka bad boy era. Ooh. I want an era where Evil fans walk. hate him a little bit. Yeah, I'd, I'd love an era where everyone hates him for a little bit because he's trying things. You know when Erdogan was going through that period at the beginning of the season where he's having too many shots? And he wasn't, but everyone thought yeah. he was. Um, but I'd love that a little bit with 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 Saka, just to hit, have him, you know, get, give it back to someone. Like, you know, stand up to someone who's kicking him or whatever to become that, to go to that next level of, of, a, of a seller or whatever. Uh, 100%, I agree. Uh, we need to talk about something else that's very, very, very important. Hill tilt. Arsenal had 73% in this game. We remain the highest team or averaging the highest amount in the league. But George, the question is, why is that? Why are Arsenal so focused? Because clearly this is something that we keep on working on. Why are we so focused on field tilt? I'm not sure. I'm not thinking Mikel Arteta is in his pre-match, you know, uh, team meeting saying, listen, lads, make sure you get this much field tilt. But I'm saying, why do Arsenal <laughs> have that much control of games? I think he what is. is. I, think he, I think he sat there saying, this will make Bavs. Exactly. Do you know I mean, maybe so that is the case. But <laughs> talk to me about why do Arsenal have that control? What's the benefit that Arsenal gained from that? Thanks for checking out the Canon podcast. To hear the full episode, sign up as a YouTube member on this channel or go to patreon.com forward slash the Pod. 
Sports Social Podcast Network.